Hello, and thank you for downloading episode 72 of We Got This with Mark and Hal. If you're new to the show or if you've been listening for a long time and you haven't told your friends and family about the show, that's a great way for us to get new listeners and a great way for you to prove that you were right and they were wrong if you agreed with our decision. And I'm going to tell you how to share our show very simply. Just use the link bit.ly forward slash share WGT. It's that simple. From a mobile phone, you click and you're already ready to subscribe and start listening to all of the many topics that we've covered over the last year and a half here on We Got This. But now, how about a new argument? So without any further ado, I present to you episode 72 of We Got This with Mark and Hal. Hello, I'm Hal Lublin. And I'm Mark Gagliardi. Since the dawn of humanity, one issue has gone unsettled. With the fate of the world in the balance, we're here to settle once and for all. Best Ghostbuster. That's right. Don't worry, everyone. We got this. Podcast should have a theme song. Podcast should not have a theme song. Yes, they should. No, they shouldn't. They sound good. Yeah, but people are just going to skip past it. Hmm. You know what? You're right. We got this. Who you gonna call? We got this. We don't have the rights to this music, do we? <laughs> no. Did you? Can, but I don't think we did it uh, close enough to the original in tone, word, or any of it. Would we be sued by Ray Parker Jr. or by Huey Lewis and the News? <laughs> what did Huey Lewis and the News have to do with it? Well, if you listen to Ray Parker Jr.'s uh, Ghostbusters theme song, and then uh-huh. you listen to Huey Lewis's "I Want a New Drug," it is almost the same uh, music. And Huey Lewis took Ray Parker Jr. to court and won because. It was close enough a song. You know, there was no real sampling going on at the time. So mm-hmm. that was just outright stealing that music and talking <laughs> about Ghostbusters instead of wanting a new drug that won't make you nervous. Wow. So, yeah. Uh, so hello, listeners. We begin this week's episode with a factoid. Yeah. What's, uh, is, what's the difference between a factoid and a fact? Is a factoid just less important in the scheme of things? I think a factoid is less useful. I didn't mean to call your uh, your your knowledge not useful, Hal. It, it isn't useful. I'm with you. It's gonna prove pretty. Uh, it's gonna prove pretty powerful and useful today because today we are talking about the best Ghostbuster. Yes, that's right. This was suggested on the Maximum Fun subreddit by Duck of Doom Forty Two. <laughs> I wish I could do that. I can't do that. I can't do what? Donald Duck. You, the master of all cartoon voices. That's the one that I cannot do. <laughs> All right, here's my version. See, I think that sounds great. (laughs) It sounds like you need to put a spoon in Donald Duck's bill to keep him from (laughs) swallowing his own tongue. (laughs) All right, so let's talk Ghostbusters. Yes, of course, we're only going to deal with the original Ghostbusters. We're talking about the 1984 film and the 1988 or 89 sequel. Neither of us have seen the new Paul Feig Ghostbusters with Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig um, and Leslie Jones and um, Kate McKinnon. And- that is correct. And additionally, we are not going to deal with the uh, real Ghostbusters animated series or the extreme Ghostbusters animated series. Uh, both of which were on television and began after the first movie and had their very own linear timeline that the movies, I don't know if this was a jerk move or not, just ignored. 
Well, or if I, it was a pragmatic move. I, you know, there there is a story behind why they had to be called the real Ghostbusters and the extreme Ghostbusters, if you want another factoid. Okay. They're, well, the extreme Ghostbusters didn't come out until 97, right? Right. But there's a reason why every time there's a television series, it has to have something in front of it. And that is because there was an animated series – or, or no, maybe a live action children's series in the in the 70s called Ghostbusters, and um, this this is these are facts that were given to me by by our producer Ken Plume, who is uh, a font of pop culture factoids. But so they had this series; it did not do meaning well. facts that are not particularly useful. Yes, he's <laughs> the, the king of useless facts. <laughs> happy birthday, Ken! We're recording this on your birthday. Hey, happy birthday, buddy! Um, but. So this series was not uh, very successful. It was made, I think, by Filmation, uh, but they retained the rights to the name Ghostbusters. And the, the film was written and was being filmed, and Sony still hadn't cleared the name Ghostbusters. And they were filming the, the crowd scene at the end when the, when, the, when the Ghostbusters arrive at the building and they're getting ready to, to go to the top to fight mm-hmm. Gozar the Gozarian. And the crowd is chanting, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters. So Ivan Reitman holds up a phone with the legal people and says, we're filming this right now, so you need to figure it out. And I believe part of the rights deal that they made was if it was in film, then they could be Ghostbusters. But anytime they did a television show, they could not flat out call the series Ghostbusters. So that's why you have real Ghostbusters, extreme Ghostbusters, um, Ghostbusters Nights. Ghostbusters Supreme. That's with sour cream. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, Ghostbusters, bacon, cheese, stuffed crust, <laughs> ghost busting. <laughs> Ghostbusters, errs. <laughs> ah, I, I tried to end it with er and then midway through saying it, realized that it already ended in er. <laughs> Didn't they have a cereal? There was a, there was a Ghostbusters cereal, wasn't there? Uh, yes, there was a Ghostbusters cereal. And there was also Ecto Cooler, which did you mm. know that Ecto Cooler has been re-released? I did know that and, uh, oh, you know everything cool before me. <laughs> well, look, if it's a sugary drink that will help you gain weight, I probably have a bead on it. So it doesn't have carbonation because I know the bubbles hurt your nose. Yeah, they do. I'm a little baby who can't <laughs> deal with carbonation. And I don't like that. No, I mean, Ecto Cooler is basically their what, what they now call orange lava burst high C. So it's just colored green. And, you know, when we were kids, to, mm-hmm. to talk old, we would get those giant cans – where you would use the sharp end of a bottle opener, you'd make a giant uh, triangle-shaped hole on one side and a smaller mm-hmm. triangle-shaped hole on the other so it would pour evenly. <laughs> and if you were fancy – We never got those. Really? I, I always wanted those. We, You know when I got those big cans with the – and you would when they'd open them, they'd go – Yeah. Uh, the only time we ever got those was at church picnics at the Catholic church in Farragut, Tennessee. Okay. So I only associate those with – the uh, the nuns, but they're like plain clothes nuns because they're cool. They just wear their nun badge around their neck and their gun on their hip, <laughs> and they're wearing jeans. Yeah, and they're wearing jeans and leather blazers. <laughs> you know, plain clothes nuns. <laughs> um, they were always there undoing cans of uh, of fruit punch, how about, oh. or a Hawaiian punch. How about a nice Hawaiian punch? <laughs> what a violent drink that is. Yeah. It's like that candy bonkers when you'd eat one and fruit would fall on your head. Yeah, you would kill grandma with a giant piece of watermelon falling from the sky because she would be like, I want some of these bonkers. And then you'd give her like grape bonkers knowing full well that a giant vine of grapes was going to fall from the sky and crush her while she's trying to watch Wheel of Fortune. 
Yeah, you know what? That's her fault. She shouldn't have been uh, taking your candy from you. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> sorry, Grandma, you can't have these Lucky Charms. They've got cyanide for old people. <laughs> I want it anyway. I'm a grandma and I'm hip. Oh, Grandma, look, everything just because it's cool doesn't mean you have to do it. Take off those rollerblades. <laughs> no, I'm going to do this. Now give me one of those banana bonkers while I'm going All down right. this slalom. But rollerblade fast because a banana's going to chase you. What? <laughs> Bonkers. Bye, Grandma. See, isn't this a better sponsor for us to have <laughs> than the Toyota Yaris? Oh. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about those original Ghostbusters. Okay. So we, we are not going to – we're not going to include characters who were who are in the employ of the Ghostbusters, which would include um, Janine Melnitz. Their, mm -hmm. their receptionist and Louis Tully, who I believe became their accountant and, and actually of the two of those characters, he actually donned a jumpsuit and a proton pack in Ghostbusters 2. And if I may say, uh, he deserves an honorable mention because at one point in Ghostbusters 2, he is standing in front of the building, uh, is the Met, uh, and he is, uh, he has, the crowd is cheering him on and he's shouting, I did it. I'm a Ghostbuster. And everyone in that crowd agrees. That's true. So he is he, I guess he would technically be a ghostbuster. But yes. I mean he's not going to he's not going to scratch no. past any of the any of the core four, is he? But we're going but we're going to have to eliminate him. No, he's not because he is afraid of no ghost. Yes. <laughs> and he was also possessed by a ghost, which makes it really tough. Right. In the first I mean he's he almost brings apart the demise of of the entire universe. All right. So Rick Moranis, Lewis Tully, you are out, sir. Uh, so that leaves us with the three original Ghostbusters and the one that joined the team midway through the first movie. That is, of course, Peter Venkman, as played by Bill Murray, Ray Stance, as played by Dan Aykroyd, Egon Spangler, as played by Harold Ramis, and Winston Zeddemore, as played by Ernie Hudson. Now, we, we could go through this a, a couple different ways, and I've thought about like, do we have criteria or do we talk about the pros and cons of each character? Because I feel like a lot of people would say Venkman out of hand because it's Bill Murray. And Bill Murray is yes. one of those legendary figures. He's got an aura around him. So anytime he's in a group of something, you're, you're, you gravitate towards him, right? Yes. That, uh, be, and he's the charming and mouthy one in the movie. So it makes him the most fun character. It's Murray at his best. Sure. However, the character of Peter Venkman is a poor scientist by his Dean's standards and the laziest Ghostbuster by anyone who saw the movie's standards. True. True. As a scientist, he's, he's only really successful by accident. Of course, there's a great scene in, in the original Ghostbusters where he's testing the effects of negative reinforcement on, uh, I think it's on psychic, uh, powers. Yes. And he's shocking the, the, the poor guy. And tried to get him to predict what's on what's on a set of cards, and then the woman he won't shock uh, at all, regardless of whether she's right or wrong. The guy he shocks every single time, regardless of whether he's right or wrong. And it actually his experiment is is borne out because the more he gets shocked, he starts to know what's on the cards. Yes. So it is a successful. Uh, it is. It, it, it. You know what? I never realized that before. Yeah. That it was actually bringing out his psychic abilities. I always just assumed that that one was a coincidence. But you know what? 
what do I know? I didn't know George Bailey was Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's right. We've learned so much. This is our first time recording since since uh, coming out of the courtroom yeah. of Judge John Hodgman. I'm glad that we're still together and able to move you know, forward. I am too, brother. And let us never speak of it again. Yay. Neither the ruling nor his overturning of it. Fair enough. I agree to those terms. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um we've got the – so how did – do you want to break this down by – uh, do you want it to be about the character and their contribution to the Ghostbusters? Do you want it to be about Peter Venkman or do you want it to be about Bill Murray as Peter Venkman? Do you want to take it as a movie or do you want to take them strictly as characters? So I think it's really hard to actually separate Bill Murray's portrayal of Peter Venkman from Peter Venkman as a character. I would agree with that. But the question, though, becomes – what's good for the, is it, are we doing then what's good for the Ghostbusters or what's good for the movie? Like Peter is not the best one for the Ghostbusters, but Bill Murray got all the funniest lines in the movie. You know what I mean? Right. Cause he was improvising a lot off of a right. brilliant script by, by Ramis and Aykroyd uh, and Ivan Reitman. So I think, I think what we do is let's talk about the different characters as they are as ghostbusters like right. in terms and then of that'll be the t- let's use that as the tiebreaker yeah and then i think we can also look at the performance i think that's going to be part of it anyway it's it's i think it's almost impossible to separate the two but i also I think, think it's right. interesting to go all right who's the best at their job that is catching and and uh and eliminating yeah. ghosts who is the most useful ghostbuster sure um so why don't we continue with dr peter venkman then Great. So I think as an employee or as a, as a co-founder of the Ghostbusters, he's certainly, um, he's certainly willing to go out there and he'll, he'll spend a ton of money on marketing and, you know, get them business. He's a great negotiator as he negotiates when they first catch Slimer, uh, at that hotel. Mm-hmm. He negotiates a higher rate. Um, so certainly if he convinces the mayor later on to uh side with him instead of Peck. Right. He's the mouthpiece of the Ghostbusters. He's their front man. We really could break this down the way we broke down the Beatles into uh if I may. Sure. Peter Venkman is the mouth, Ray Stance is the heart, Egon Spengler is the brain, and Winston Zedmore is uh the muscle and our ears. Okay. Fair enough. So I realize it's not exactly the same breakdown because, you know, but you know what I mean. Right. But w- if you were to, if you were to turn them into Beatles, which Beatles would you, would you say that they are? Uh, oh man. I don't have enough. Uh, there's uh, the pause, the pregnant pause would be too long for me to look at it and think about it. <laughs> um, but I'm sorry. Winston is definitely, uh, Ringo. Yes. Yes, he is. Well, no, I only said that because Winston is the one that usually gets uh, crapped on like Ringo does. True. Because he, you know, he didn't have the funniest lines and the most to do in the movie and also wasn't one of the founders of the thing. But um, I would say the Ringo being the heartbeat is actually Ray. That's fair. Ray's the one that's willing to take one for the team. But Ringo came in later than – uh Hal, see what you're doing to me? <laughs> you fell into my trap, my Beatles trap. All right. Uh, but going back to what we were talking about before, Peter is definitely the mouth of the group, and they need each of the individual elements every once in a while. His hero moments always happen when he's using his mouth to get them out of situations. And when he is, you know, when he's got the – cojones to step up when he needs to yeah and ultimately uh when he's alone 
by himself. And and I'm thinking specifically of that first their first assignment when they go to that hotel and they're trying to catch uh, Slimer, who's who I think is just called the Spud. That's what he's called right. on set because he's like a big little green know. Spud or ugly little Spud. There have been many names for him. Yeah, but and I love that in uh, Ghostbusters the video game they use all of those names throughout the game. Oh, that's are you talking about the more recent PlayStation Xbox, the 2007. Yeah. Oh, it's so great. If you haven't played it and you have a system for which it has been made. It's a fantastic – you really feel like you're in a Ghostbusters film and that's yeah. because they all came back to do the voices and you are the fifth Ghostbuster. And it takes place in 1991, two years after the events of Ghostbusters 2. So it's in that – weirdly, uh the video game made the canon and the cartoon did not. Yes. So it's a – Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis wrote the video game and it is excellent. Yes, absolutely. But in that initial scene when he first sees – that ghost, he is frightened by it and and mm-hmm. paralyzed by fear, despite the fact that they've got their uh, what is it, neutrino wands? Is that what they're called? And their proton packs. Mm-hmm. He's completely frozen with fear. It's later on when he's with the other guys that he's bravest. So he he really works the best in a team. That's very true. But that's not to say he isn't brave or doesn't ultimately do the right thing. You know, he's, he's a rascal, but he's a rascal with a conscience. And, you know, he's there with them. He never, he never shies away from a fight or to stand alongside with them. And, and I mean, he's willing, they're all willing to die together at the yes. end of the original Ghostbusters because there's a chance they may succeed. So they're certainly all very brave, but I, there is something about him being frozen and paralyzed with fear when Slimer flies at him after eating off of that room service cart. Correct. Uh, so, but are you saying that it's a good thing that he froze because that proves his teamwork skills, or are you saying it's a bad thing that he froze because what happens when you're under pressure? I think it's a ding against him because it's what happens when you're under pressure. Although they're all scared at different points, they're, the other three are frightening Ghostbusters too when they go down into the sewers, into the that's very true sub- subway line. So there's scary stuff all around, and they're all they're all cowards at different times. Um, within those films, but th- that that solo moment of fear is, I, I, for some reason, that stands out in my mind. And and I guess I'm trying to find negative things about Venkman because I love that character so much. I mean, he's well, yes. hilarious. It's it is a perfect uh, it is a perfect performance by Bill Murray as this. He does so little. It's just his words and a twitch of his face. And you know everything that's going on in that guy's head. They say that, you know, the camera can read your mind and his mind is working so hilarious and overtime. Yeah. Is that your favorite? What's your favorite Bill Murray role? Uh, that is definitely up there. I loved, loved, loved him in Meatballs. I wish that I had ah. a camp counselor like Bill Murray in Meatballs. <laughs> he is great at that. He is. What about yours? Oh man. Um, it's probably a tie between Ghostbusters. And Rushmore. I love him in Rushmore. Ah, uh, see, I'm an early Murray guy. His, his more recent stuff, I enjoy the movies, uh, intellectually, mm-hmm. but I'm like, all right, you're moving, you're, you're going a little slower than I'm used to, Bill. But is this one of those things where, like, I said those two things and then I immediately went, oh, but what about Kingpin? What about Stripes? Sure. Like, you, you just, it's, it's almost impossible to pick, but Venkman is pretty high up there. That's just, I, I love that film as a whole so much 
that it's it's hard to not say that that's my favorite Bill Murray role. Yeah, Ghostbusters is uh, the movie that I will turn on and leave on. You know how you always have those movies? You're like, if you flip through them, you're like, oh, I'll leave that on. Shawshank Redemption for me is another. Yeah. National Treasure. Sure. Uh, National Treasure 2. Uh, National Treasure 2, Book of Secrets. Yeah, absolutely. Depends. If uh, he and Ed Harris have already gone inside Mount Rushmore, then it's just, you know, action scenes till the end. I like the history stuff more. Okay. That's fair enough. Um, <laughs> well, I can't, I can't argue with that. Once you get there, you're like, all right, we're done here. All the puzzles yeah. have been solved. Yeah, the puzzles are all done. Now it's just us turning a big stick. So that's fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. So that is Peter Venkman. And now, let, if we may, partly because we already spoke about him briefly and partly because I know he's not going to win. Let's talk about Winston Zedmore. Sure. Zedmore? Zedmore. Zedmore. Three syllables? Yeah. He functions. He's the Ghostbuster that comes in. He's a blue-collar guy. We know the least about him. But from the canon of the video game and the two movies, we know that Winston is the most religious. He is the best military trained. He's, you know, been in action. Uh, and really, he serves as the eyes and ears for the audience because they, you know, Venkman uses him. He's the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Exposition. Right. The exposition bounces off of Zetamore. Sure. Um, yeah. I, well, also look, they're all incredibly brave to go chase ghosts and try to catch them. I, I certainly would be too afraid to do it, but you are afraid of some ghosts. I'm afraid of some ghosts. Okay. I'm not afraid of, of any ghosts. Okay. Just some. I, I am afraid of no ghosts, which means I ain't afraid of any ghosts. Wow. You're much braver than I am. Wait. I know I said that backwards. I'm afraid of all ghosts. What did I just say? <laughs> Do you believe in ghosts? Do you believe that they're real? Uh, I, you know what? I don't know. I think so. Okay. I've never, I've had a couple of experiences that are inexplicable and I don't pretend to know what's on the other side. And there are sure a heck of a lot of stories about them. So I'm open to it. What about you? I go back and forth. My mother believed in ghosts. And I've told this, mm -hmm. I actually told this story on Spontaneation once, but my mother was visiting family in, in Florida and she went, I guess she was at a restaurant that was supposed to be haunted and she went to the bathroom and she, she said like my eyes started fluttering and she ran out of the bathroom saying the ghost has my eyes. So. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly from a genetic predisposition, I'm, I'm sure. there in terms of believing in ghosts, but I go back and forth. There's, there's a lot out there that's, that's yet unexplained. Um, which, which makes what, what Winston does even braver. The other three guys are scientists and they've devoted a certain amount of study to, to the paranormal in one way or the other. So they're going in knowing that they've figured out scientifically how to catch ghosts and, and keep them. So they have, they have much more of an understanding of how that world works. You have this guy who essentially an answers a want ad and gets hired immediately coming in and he's facing the unknown and something very, so, uh, that obviously frightens both you and me. And he's willing mm -hmm. to go in and just take the job and get it done. And that's pretty incredible. And he's, he's never treated as less than by the other guys. That's very true. He's necessary. He immediately jumps in and is immediately a part of the team. Yeah. 
And I would love to see – I know that initially in the script, there was a lot more of a story behind Winston. And I would love mm-hmm. to see what that is and how that would have changed the film and changed people's perception of that character. Because obviously it's been good. You know, when we've gone to New York Comic Con the last couple of years, the mm-hmm. Thrilling Adventure Hour booth was always right next to like a Ghostbusters-based charity. So they'd have the actual was- one there and he would be there signing. Yes, or was it that Chicago? was, it was one of the coolest, one of the coolest things that I've ever had experience at a Comic Con was Stan Lee was uh, doing his thing in a booth right over to our left and Ernie Hudson was to our right with the Ecto one. And it was one of those moments where you're like, Oh man, this is, this is nerd heaven. <laughs> yeah. And he seems like, a, he seems like a pretty cool dude. I mean, he's had a great career. But yeah. that is like – he's still one of the Ghostbusters. It's not – I don't think yeah. people um, – I don't think he's seen as a junior Ghostbuster even if he's not as prominent of a character. Does that make sense? Well, I guess it's kind of like the Thrilling Adventure Hour, Hal. I was there from the very beginning mm-hmm. and you came in in episode two. Sure. So I guess it is like, yeah, Winston is a junior Ghostbuster. <laughs> I would are you kidding me? I would much rather be the Winston Zeddemore of the Thrilling Adventure Hour than the uh Lewis Tully. <laughs> oh, you're not Tully. Are you kidding me? I, I'm gonna go have a shower. <laughs> that's my uh, favorite that's like the most Canadian thing. Like, do people say that? I guess some have people a shower. do have a shower. It doesn't seem like the right phrase. And that just like it's such a like there's something about that that makes me think it's a, like a character thing. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's, that's what I love about that movie is all the little character things, including him going, Oh, I'm going to go have a shower. And, uh, I just wanted, like, we should talk about our favorite moments for each Ghostbuster. Oh, absolutely. For, for Venkman, it's, it's when he, he holds the candy bar in front of Spangler and dangles it. I think it's after, after he said that they figured out how to, how to catch and keep a ghost indefinitely. And he pulls out the candy bar and he goes, you, you've earned it. And he keeps like pulling it away from him. It's such a small <laughs> moment that's so brilliant. So that, that would, that is actually my favorite Bankman moment in, in either the Ghostbusters film or the, the video game. What about you? My favorite moment is from Ghostbusters 2, actually. I know Ghostbusters 2, uh, when Bill Murray is playing with Oscar the baby. First of all, cause Bill Murray is just super charming and he's Bill Murray. Come on. Sure. And, uh, him, him, improvising and or doing scripted bits with a baby is hilarious. And then the icing on the cake is, uh, will you put him down? You're ugly and your mother dresses, dresses you funny. And yes. what was the, what's the line? It's and a, you're a terrible burden on your poor yeah, mother. I think it's your short, you're funny looking, you're a terrible poor burden on your poor mother. <laughs> that is a fantastic, uh, that is a fantastic moment. And look, Ghostbusters 2 is not as good as Ghostbusters 1, but it's not terrible. It's not the no, worst. Fun you movie. should watch it. It's watchable. Decent. So let's go back to Winston. Um, okay. Do you have a favorite Winston moment? Yeah, it's the same one that everyone has, I what, think. What is it? Uh, it's uh, when someone asks you if you are a god, you say yes. Yep. That and if there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll believe anything you say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's such a no-nonsense character. Yeah. Uh, so that real, I mean, he doesn't, does he have a hero moment? I mean, everything he does with them is a certain level of bravery, but I, I don't remember him. That's true, but like a moment of saving the others. 
You know what I mean? Um, there's nothing specific that comes to mind. Okay. Which is probably uh, a ding uh, for him. But I'll tell you what. Before we get to the other two Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. why don't we take a quick break to hear about some of the other shows on the Maximum Fun Network that are so good, it's scary. See what I did there? Ugh. Hey guys, this is Adam Conover. You may know me from my true TV show, Adam Ruins Everything. Well, guess what? Now we're doing a podcast version right here on Maximum Fun. What we do is we take all the interesting, fascinating experts that we talk to for just a couple minutes on the show, and we sit with them for an entire podcast, really going deep and getting into the fascinating details of their work. Find Adam Ruins Everything wherever you get your podcasts or at MaximumFun.org. Hello, Brent. Travis. Welcome to Trends Like These. What's Trends Like These, you ask? Well, it's a podcast where we take the the news trending on the internet and we cover it in podcast form. We go beyond the headlines, beyond the memes to bring you the real story so that when your friends bring it up, you can look real smart. We take things that need to be debunked and we debunk them. And then we take things that need to be rebunked and we rebunk them. We bring you all the details and we give you a spin on it. Our opinions, our thoughts, and we also try to dig up some positive things to talk about. So it's not all bummers. Just a couple of real life friends talking internet trends. So join us every Thursday on MaximumFun.org and wherever podcasts are found. And we're back. Did you finish wiping that pun out of your mouth? Uh, <laughs> yes. White, the idea of wiping something out of my mouth, the, just that image is strange in my head. Have you ever done that as a kid? Like that, that thing you did. No, I was never the kid that like put a napkin on his tongue if an onion touched it or some garbage like that. I'm like, no, I don't want to lick a napkin. Well, it wasn't if an onion touched it, but sometimes you take a bite of something that was like the wrong bite and then – you have to wipe your mouth. It really is like Tom Hanks in, in Big when he eats, I think it's the caviar, and he just like <laughs> throws a ton of it on a, on a uh, cracker. Uh, yeah, exactly. He's doing yeah. that and wiping his tongue. I know I've done that before. I'll bet I've done it in the last 12 months of my life. I've done oh it. Oh my God. You are such a giant man child. I love you. <laughs> I really. What is the weirdest thing you've ever put in your mouth? Food wise. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> thank you for qualifying that. <laughs> I, I'm shuddering to think what you imagine my answer would be if you hadn't set those parameters. But okay, what is the weird? Oh, is it going to be like arugula? <laughs> I mean, the worst thing is probably cilantro because it's the devil's weed. Oh, I would I would eat a salad of cilantro leaves if I could. Well, you know what? I that, guess I can. You know what that is, right? Yeah, it's cilantro. But I mean, like, why I why it tastes weird to me? You have that soap thing that people have. Yeah, There's that it's yeah that like. It's genetic, right? Exactly. It's a genetic mutation. So I'm one of the X-Men whose power is avoiding certain kinds of Mexican food. <laughs> oh, what's your, what's your X-Men name? Uh, Devil's Weed. <laughs> of course. And my outfit is. And, and can your tagline be, I'll just have it plain. Thanks. <laughs> I'm allergic to cilantro. Cause you worked as a server. If somebody says I they're did. allergic to something, that's how you get it not put anywhere near your plate, right? Yes. My mother. That's how you, that, yeah. If somebody says, I don't like onions, you'd be like, man, deal with it. Yeah. 
Uh, but if somebody's like, I'm allergic to peanuts and will, my head will inflate. Yeah. <laughs> you make sure that there's no peanut, that they didn't cook the fries in peanut oil. Um, my mother, uh, my dear departed mother, who didn't. You're really dogging on your mom in this episode, she, Hal. Well, look, she's contributed a lot. I'll, I'll talk about it more in therapy, but while we're here, um, <laughs> while, she, while we're here, might as well, right? Yeah. She did not like tomatoes. She okay. liked ketchup. She liked tomato sauce. She did not care for raw tomatoes. And when she, we would go to a restaurant, she would always tell the waiter she was allergic to tomatoes. And that, that's how I learned that. She was like, now the, mm. now they can't bring me tomatoes. But like, but then did she order ketchup with her fries? Probably. I like, it wasn't that. <laughs> she, <laughs> by the way, no waiter believes you when you say you're allergic to something. Right. Unless you really reiterate. The, the mentality is, all right, fine, I get it. You don't like them. Jeez. <laughs> it's a, it's the, it's an implicit agreement. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. So let's, uh, Ray Stance. Let's go to Ray Stance. Uh, the Ray Stance for me is, I think, the best at being a Ghostbuster. Tell me why. Ray Stance is, he's the heart of the group. He is willing to, he's willing to take one for the team. As in when he is descended into the, uh, into the tunnel underneath New York City where the mood slime is flowing. Right. He, uh, he gets really excited about every little thing in the Ghostbusters universe. Any little, uh, when Peter gets slimed, he's ecstatic about that. Uh, every little bit of scientific whatever he gets involved with. And unlike Egon, he knows all the same things that Egon knows, but he's, I guess, cooler and more normal and human about it. Yeah, he he in the original Marx Brothers three of the of the founding Ghostbusters, he's he's somewhere in between Groucho and not not Harpo. I wouldn't say Egon's Harpo, but you know, Egon is the is the completely buttoned up science geek and. Yes. Bill Murray's too cool for school. Venkman is, and Ray Stance skates that line. I mean, as as mm-hmm. a business partner, he's the one who takes out the mortgages, like yeah. the second mortgage on on Taking the house one his for the team. gave him. He also, so he's willing to sacrifice, which is great in a business partner. He's willing to invest and 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 lay himself out. But also, they go to the firehouse, which should be condemned, and it's overpriced, mm-hmm. and because it has a sliding pole. <laughs> they wind up, they wind up staying there. And yeah. He's like, he becomes like a five year old, like, Oh, we should get some sleeping bags, stay the night, you know, test the place <laughs> out. That's like not what you want <laughs> in any kind of business negotiations. Oh. They wind up having to take the firehouse, which of course is, is another character in the film. Um, but there's also Ray gets involved in some weird stuff. So he gets taken over. He gets possessed by Vigo and goes very briefly. Too. Yes. Um, he does make first contact in the original Ghostbusters film and tries to, uh, his whole plan once they discover the ghost is get her, which is <laughs> not a great plan. Um, before Winston gets there, he's the, uh, handyman that, uh, takes care of Ecto one. That's true. Yeah. He's a skilled mechanic. He also, uh, receives oral sex from a ghost in what That's may or may not have been a dream. Very true. Uh, I did not think about that scene. And again, much like the uh, Peter Venkman's going stiff, 
Uh, is Ray Stances going stiff, uh, positive or a negative? Well, it depends on who you ask, but I also think that, uh, it, it's, <laughs> I, there is, I think it's maybe supposed to be a dream sequence in the film, but it, 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 because it does have sort of that wavy, uh, sort of transition that lets you know that it's a dream, but it is also sort of odd. Why are we mm-hmm. being shown that dream? Is it really that good of a gag? Or is he sleeping with a ghost and this is how we find out about it? Oh, and like she's his ghost girlfriend and he gets home at the end of the day every day and is like, what am I doing? Doing? I'm ruining my future family. I can't. Uh, I can't do this. We can't keep this up. Say something. <laughs> oh, you always say that. <laughs> Trying to win me back. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I said no. I'm ending it. All right, so Ray's sleeping with a ghost. Yes, that is established. What else? Uh, what, what other moments? What's your favorite Ray moment? Oh man, oh boy, I it's so tough with with Ray because he's so he's so much fun in so many different ways. I like him. I like I I I love him in that initial library scene in the first Ghostbusters. When he goes up and tries to make contact, just everything about his behavior, because I think it captures that he's he's really interested in the science, but also an excited kid who really doesn't know what he's doing. He's sort of like a golden retriever puppy. <laughs> he's just bounding around. All he knows is like, I'm a puppy. I'm going to be a puppy. What is that over there? I'm going to smell it. I'm so happy to be here. What about you? For me, it's that uh, it's that moment when he runs up to Ray or when he run when he runs. For me, it's that moment when Ray runs up to Venkman, who's just been slimed, and is super excited about it. It's those moments of excitement. And I, I had forgotten about that fire pole scene. God, that's so funny. Yeah, that is pretty great, too. It's hard to oh. pull that out. <laughs> like, each moment that we that we love for these guys are the moments that make those characters them. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Um. So let's talk about Egon now. Yes. Egon... Uh, the Mr. Spock, the brains of the group, mm-hmm. his only toy as a child was a part of a slinky and he straightened it, <laughs> which I love so much. And don't forget that he collects spores, molds, and fungus. Spores, spores molds, and fungus. That's yeah. right. Um, oh man, I love Egon so much. In addition to Peter and Dana's relationship, there's also the budding relationship between Egon and uh, Janine. Which which transitions in the second film to Janine mm-hmm. and Lewis. Exactly. Because Egon is, based on that, knowing that in the second film their love was doomed, is it because Egon is bad or because Janine just didn't understand him, man? I think it's because he's married to his work and wasn't oh. interested in uh, – in any relationship, like he's that into the pursuit of science that that is everything to him. And he like it's fair to say that he is the Mr. Spock, but he does have some fun moments of levity, including when they when they're taken to court in Ghostbusters 2 and those uh, the the murderer, the bro- the murderer brothers who are floating around in electric chairs mm-hmm. are uh, are attacking the judge who had put them away. And they, they get their proton packs and they turn them on for the first time in years. And, uh, Bill, Bill Murray, Peter Venkman says, doe. And then Ray Stan says, Ray. And then Egon says, Egon. Egon. So he has a great, like, little smirking joke moment 
Uh, he does have a few of those. Yeah. I'll give you that. So he's like probably, I, I, he seems to develop a lot of the equipment. He, he, he develops together. all of the equipment. Yeah. So, um, and so Egon, Egon to me is just as like the job of Ghostbuster goes. Uh huh. Two things. One, he built all the equipment. And two, my favorite Egon moment, aside from the line about the uh, only having part of a slinky and straightening it. Uh, <laughs> that's my favorite bit of his. Yeah. My favorite hero moment of his is it was Egon's idea to cross the streams at the end of the first movie, which ultimately saved all of New York City. That's true. So as far as like being a Ghostbuster, he probably would be the best one far and away for the reason that he, he figures out how to save the world. But yes, uh, uh, my favorite Egon moment, I have to say, and it is a, it is an Egon and, and Venkman moment is, uh, when they first see the go, it's again, this library sequence, which is, I mean, the, the, you, there are so many great moments in, in that first film. Like every mm. moment is a great moment, but I love their first contact with that ghost and them trying to figure out what to do. They're like, what are we going to do? And Egon immediately brings up a machine because everything is science. And that's all he's been mm-hmm. doing. He said it's a machine. And and Venkman slaps it out of his hands and says, stop it. <laughs> I I love that. I love that moment. It's such a great it, – it tells you a lot about who Egon is as a character, which is when there's a problem, he go he turns to science and math and reason to figure it out, which is probably why he's the one that puts together – we need to cross the streams. That's the only thing that's going to end this. Even yeah. though it could kill us. There's a Science and work. reason will save the world. Let that be a lesson. Yes. And it's such a great performance by Harold Ramis. A guy who I don't think gets enough credit as an actor because he was such a brilliant writer and director. Mm-hmm. But really talented actor as well. Like very warm. Um, I mean he's great in Knocked Stripes. Up. He's great in Stripes. Mm-hmm. He was great on SCTV. Um, second city guy. Yeah. He was a big time. He was part of that second city revolution of the late sixties. Um, but it is worth noting that, uh, the, I, I don't mean to leave Winston out. The three original ghostbusters that started the company are all second city guys. Yes, that is true. And so is, as is Rick Moranis. Yep. He's an SCTV guy. Mm hmm. Um, so that that obviously lends to how great they all are at improvising and working with one another as actors. But th- like that portrayal of Egon, it's such a great character. So, I would agree with that. So so far where we are is we have four great characters, great we performances like by great actors. Mm-hmm. But we're going to lose Winston, so, right? I think we have to lose Winston. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be one of these three, mm-hmm. Peter, Ray, and Egon. Yes. And if uh, – <sighs> it's tough because I feel like uh, Peter and Egon are the opposite ends of this spectrum and are so both so wonderful. Then if Ray is the middle of that spectrum, do we have to eliminate him because the uh, the best fruit is out on the farthest branches? Right. Or is it something where he would be the winner because he perfectly encompasses yeah. what's great about each side? He's the intersection of their Venn diagram. Yeah. I mean, it's, oh. it's really, really tough. Either we're done right now and Ray wins or we still debate Peter and Egon. I think I'm with you that the sweeter fruit is at the end of the branch. And okay. as great as Ray is – 
that that it's going to be it's going to come down to Egon or Venkman. Do you agree uh, with I, that? I think that feels correct. Yeah. Uh Mr. Ackroyd, Mr. Stance, you're the same guy. Uh <laughs> we're eliminating both of you right now and we love you dearly and have been big fans forever. Goodbye. <laughs> we love you, Danny. <laughs> oh, Danny boy. Oh, we don't right. have the rights to that either. Um, no, we don't. Okay. Who are you going to call? Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. This is really one – like we have some where we're choosing between a multitude of things and some of them we really like and then there are others that we're just willing to throw aside. This is the mm-hmm. one time that it really feels like we're trying to choose between which of our children we like the most. Just like my mom said when she put me and my brother Gabe in the same room one that one time. Hmm. I wonder which one of you I love best. And then she picked one. <laughs> what is your gut instinct right now? My – well, it the – I don't know because my gut says Venkman mm-hmm. because he made me laugh harder. He seems like the leader of the group. He's the socially capable one. But Egon built the proton packs. Egon knows all of the science. And I don't think that Peter really knows any of the science. Right. That's true. He's just figuring stuff out. And like he goes into when he goes into Dana's apartment, he's using like the sniffer. And, uh, and all that equipment to sort of test for ghosts. It really, mm-hmm. j- like, obviously he's there to hit on her. It's, that's not disguised at all. But right. also there's zero, almost zero science behind anything he's doing. Of course, when she's in actual peril, he becomes a gentleman. He doesn't take advantage of her in the one moment that he could. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because he, like you said, he has that real moral center. He's a scoundrel and a rascal, but we love him. Absolutely. So, um, but he does have like z- almost zero knowledge of any of the science. So the, the question is, does his performance, is his performance so great, which it is, that it outweighs the fact that his character, like there would be no Ghostbusters without Egon's scientific work, right? Let me pose an additional question for you. Is the mouth or the brains of an operation the more important part in this case? If we're looking purely at the job of Ghostbuster, Egon has to win. Right? Yeah, yeah that's true. Because they can't – they don't get the work without Venkman's marketing and his mind. But right. they can't actually catch ghosts without Egon. Yeah. And without Egon, then they're just the psychic TV show that that Peter is doing at the beginning of the second movie. Yes. <laughs> um. So this is a tough one because I feel like the win, as weird as it sounds, the win has to go to Egon for me at this point. It feels like that. I I can't believe I'm saying that about Bill Murray, who is I know. an all-time king. I I agree with you. You do? I do. I do agree with. Why you. does this feel dirty? It does feel because it's Bill Murray. It's Peter because it's, it's Dr. Bill Peter Murray. Venkman. It's Doctor Peter Venkman. But Doctor Peter Venkman, according to the dean of Columbia University, is a poor scientist. That's true. He's a poor scientist. They tell him to 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 burn in hell. 
He is so charming, that Bill Murray. But as a Ghostbuster, it pains me to have to push one of our children into the river, but I feel like it's got to be Egon. Well, then let me say this. People of the world, when there's something strange in your neighborhood, when there's something weird and it don't look good, who are you going to call? Egon Spengler! And that's because there would be no Ghostbusters without Egon Spengler. The very, very heart of it. Yes, Ray is the curious one who drives the ideas behind the development. But you can't have that equipment without Egon Spengler. He's the one who figures out the proton packs and the neutrino ones. He's the one who figures out that even though crossing the streams is dangerous, it can bring the end to everything as we know it. He also figures out that that is the only way to defeat Gozar the Gozarian and save all of us. He's calm. He's cool. He's collecting spores, molds, and fungus. And... He's got a bunch of straight slinky wires, probably from his childhood <laughs> up to his adulthood. We don't know that he, he didn't stop collecting them. And hey, guess what? A bunch of people nowadays are saying print is dead. Guess who said it first? Egon Spengler in 1984 to wow, Janine Melnitz right. when she said that she read a lot. That's right. He knew. He knew because he's Egon Spengler. And he is the best ghost buster Asked and answered. Thank you, Duck of Doom 42. Uh, that was a surprise. I'm not going to lie. To me too. Um, all right. Well, that would, that one is settled, but mm-hmm. there are many more topics for us to discuss. How, how can we get people to get topics to us? Well, they can go to our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash we got this podcast, or they can email us at we got this podcast at gmail.com. Or they could reach out to us on Twitter at We Got This Tweets, or they could find us on the Maximum Fun subreddit where a flame war is happening right now. We want to thank our producer, birthday boy, Ken Plume. Happy birthday! Yes, Ken, happy birthday. And if, if you love the way this show sounds, then you love Ken Plume, go to his Patreon and support him. It's patreon.com forward slash Ken Plume. Uh, and he does his own great podcast called A Bit of a Chat with Ken Plume, on which we have both been guests. That's true. And on which we will both appear again, no doubt. Uh, I also want to thank our researcher, Kate McManus, our graphic designer, Uri Kelman, and our QA engineer, Jen Alba. Thanks, as always, to our musicians, Mike Furman and Jonathan Dinerstein, for our award-winning theme song and score, respectively. And thank you to you, the listeners. You keep coming. You bring your friends in. You argue with us. We love it. We love meeting new fans of the show and having them respond to us. Uh, it's just such a joy. Thank you for continuing to support this show. For Hal Lublin, I'm Mark Gagliardi. And for Mark Gagliardi, I'm Hal Lublin. And don't worry, everybody. We, we got, got this. this. We got this. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.